Hey, and welcome to Hacked Off. In this episode, I want to talk about cybersecurity predictions. It's the start of the new year. And uh, this is a thing that a lot of people have been asking us, you know, what do you think is the, the next threat for this year? What do you think is emerging concerns for business for the, for the next year or next five years? But I want to do things a little bit different in this podcast. I want to look at the cybersecurity predictions for 2019 and see if any of those were accurate, if any of those were meaningful, if there's any value in cybersecurity predictions. And then, of course, I'll end the podcast talking about my predictions, the things that I think companies should be doing, the things to watch out for. But essentially, we're starting with take predictions with a grain of salt. If there's no evidence behind it, then maybe it's not a huge concern. So how did I research this podcast? Where did I begin for the podcast? Well, I did an internet search for cybersecurity predictions 2019, and you get a lot of top five, top tens from security researchers, organizations saying these are the next big things. And a lot of these things, they didn't seem all that new. So is that just me in 2020 looking back at the predictions from 2019 and saying, yeah, these are all now established attacks. You know, those predictions were good, meaningful, useful. Or is it just that actually cybersecurity is same old, same old and things don't really change that quickly? So what kind of predictions did I find in my, uh, shall we refer to it as research, my, my uh, quick online search? Um, some of the top fives had uh, shared themes and, and definitely some, some big things that were repeatedly mentioned were things like cloud outages, nation state attacks, supply chain risk, ransomware. Are these uh, emerging threats? Are these new big things that we should suddenly be concerned about? Or is it just that security is ongoing? Well, I tried to look for some examples of these that had happened in the past, things that are worth pointing out in terms of like, yeah, this isn't new. Or maybe some progress that had been made to say this is actually maybe not a new threat, but something that's changing. Now, I also want to mention at this point, if you, if you haven't listened to our last podcast, um, check that one out too. So we invited Mike Koss back. Uh, Mike is, um, he was in fact our... Uh, most listened to interviewee of last year. So we invited him back in for a part two. And we said, you know, Mike, what what do you want to talk about? You know, what do you think is a cool thing worth mentioning? And in that podcast, we talked about deep fakes and this idea of um, creating audio or video content from uh, machine learning algorithms. And in this context, for cybersecurity predictions, we, we discussed the fact that that is an emerging threat. It is a thing that's developing and a thing that could impact businesses. Uh, additionally, it's also something that has been used in a real-world attack, and, and therefore uh, it's not just on the horizon, it's not a, a future thing, but it's a, a you know near future. It's, it's a, a coming now development that you should be concerned about. So if you're looking for real cybersecurity predictions, then check that podcast out as well. Starting at the beginning, though, um, cloud outages, is this something that companies should just be concerned about now? Is this something that's just affected us for the last year? Um, no. Uh, AWS had a, a major outage in 2017. Hopefully that isn't so long ago that everybody has forgotten about that. Um, key points from that outage, the status page couldn't be updated because it was stored in the cloud and the cloud was down. 
if I remember correctly, it was um, to do with S3 being being out that they couldn't update their status page. Of course, there's been a lot of lessons learned from that and improvements made, but cloud outages, not necessarily a new thing, not necessarily a new risk. What about nation state attacks? I mentioned those. Is that something that companies should suddenly be uh, worried about? Well, my go-to example of really cool nation state attacks would be the GU versus the United States, Russian intelligence versus the US election system. Back in 2016, it was shown that it's believed that the Illinois State Board of Elections was compromised using an SQL injection attack. So again, nation state attacks, not new, something that's been going on for a while. Um, I definitely should add a, a cliff note there for SQL injection attacks. Whilst I mentioned that one in 2016, SQL injection attacks, of course, have been happening for, what, 21 years now? If you didn't attend B-Sides Leeds, uh, B-Sides Leeds, the security conference, um, had a kind of pseudo-birthday party to SQL Injection, marking its 21st year. SQL Injection, as far as I know, was first publicized on Christmas Day of 1998 by Rainforest Puppy, who did a nice write-up in Frack magazine. Uh, so yeah, 21 years ago. Over 21 years now. So SQL Injection is not something new. Supply chain risk? There's a lot of examples here. I think people would maybe expect me to talk about something like the British Airways breach with this uh, third-party code issue of the ICO getting hit by a similar thing. Um, maybe go further back, maybe look at Target in 2013 getting compromised through their HVAC vendor. Third-party access was compromised. Supply chain risk in 2013. So what about ransomware? Yeah, everybody knows ransomware's not new either. Ransomware, first example of ransomware that I know the Eds Trojan, 1989, distributed on physical floppy disks, mailed 10,000 of them on physical floppy disks, demanding a monetary ransom to be paid by Banker's Draft to a PO box in Panama. So not a new attack. So of these predictions, does that mean they're valueless? Or maybe is there is there some development that's taking place? You know, have, have things changed? Well, um, I think for ransomware, we are maybe seeing a change. We are maybe seeing something uh, as an emerging development. I haven't seen it so much, but it's a thing I've been curious about for a while, thinking, will attackers ever actually do this? Or possibly have attackers been doing this and we just haven't uh, had the evidence or been aware? But the idea that attackers, when they compromise an organization, they could steal data whilst they're in the network and then use that data as leverage over the organization or even just not mention the fact that they stole it and, and sell it for additional profit. So ransomware historically has been considered this risk where the uh, user system administrator is locked out of data, so generally through encryption, a device is encrypted or, or data store is encrypted. The attackers demand a monetary ransom to gain access to those systems. And when these announcements go out, you often see some, some competing headlines. Something that I, I mentioned previously on this podcast was um, the Travelex breach of, um, I, I guess we could say the Travelex breach of 2019, even though the headlines came out on, what, the 2nd of January 2020 for the most part. But uh, Travelex was compromised. It was a significant uh, event for that organization. Ransomware was deployed on December 31st of, of 2019, so just at the end of the year. And you see a lot of newspaper headlines saying the attack started on December 31st, but it might not have. The attackers might have just picked that as an opportune moment. They could have, uh, I mean potentially could have, have hacked in months earlier 
and, and just deployed the ransomware on December 31st. So we could see attackers uh, compromising organizations, gathering data, using that initial access to um, steal sensitive files, possibly even destroy backups, interrupt backups, uh, in some way impact the recovery ability of that organization, and then deploy ransomware. We see these kinds of attacks in other contexts. If you want to steal a lot of data from a network through something like an SQL injection attack and you want to do it without being noticed, one of the things you could do is launch a denial of service attack against an unrelated asset so that the company stands up, their incident response process begins and they start running to deal with the denial of service attack and don't notice you stealing all of their data. So ransomware attacks where we have a more complex impact where data is stolen and also encrypted um, could be a, a development. It could be something that attackers will start doing. Um, allegedly, in the Travelex case, this this was something that the, the so-called attackers claimed to have taken data. But very often when we follow ransomware attacks, you, you see statements like, uh, we have no evidence that data was stolen. Mm, not sure how much I like statements like that. No evidence that it was stolen or it wasn't stolen. I, I do acknowledge proving that something wasn't taken is is often very difficult especially when all of your systems are encrypted. So I, I get the point that that's difficult, but you know, it's always one of those weaknesses, isn't it? It's like, did attackers take data? Do we know? Is it possible that attackers taking data is the primary attack and ransomware is just the covering of the tracks side of things? You know, One way to destroy logs, to destroy access to evidence would be to encrypt everything. So it's a thing to consider. And whilst I talk about ransomware, all the time on this podcast, and I always mention that it's really old, um, possibly older than members of staff in your IT department, with it first being uh, conceptualized in 1989, the first attack that I'm aware of, um, it, it, it could be developing. It's certainly not going away. So for somebody to say, what is your prediction for the next year? And the response to be more ransomware. Do you think that's a fair prediction? <clears throat> So, so what else is changing? What what else is uh, things that we should be concerned about? Fishing is fishing changing. Are there areas there that you know companies haven't considered yet? Well, I won't talk about deep fakes because we've covered that previously with Mike, and and that's a really uh, deep dive in, into that concept. So, yes, I do think fishing will change over the next year. We we saw that previously, where fraudsters used uh, machine learning to mimic a CEO's voice and, and therefore get a uh, financial attack against an organization. So, so we've seen that. But what else could be changing? I think one of the things to, to bear in mind is um, attackers often go after what what is simple and, and they often go after what is a proven attack. So there might be something more interesting that the attackers could do, but it, it might take more effort, it might take more skill. I mentioned this previously in, in the uh, TravelX podcast where I talked about why, why did the attackers ransomware TravelX? What, what was the purpose behind that? Is this an indicator that they're not very skillful and couldn't do anything better? Or is it just an indicator that, well, ransomware works, so they just ransomware them? It's a thing to consider. Um, one of the things I think that, that could be changing is... Um, physical access. Physical access has has worked for a long time. Generally, I, I talk about this all the time where, you know, tailgating into an organization is is not difficult. Um, certainly if you're using RFID access uh, doors where people can hold the doors open. Um, if you have public access areas or if you have things like smoking areas, they can increase the risk of 
um, social engineering. Uh, if you if you want to get some details on social engineering attacks, then our previous podcast with Jenny Radcliffe has, has got some good detail there. But I think one of the things that we maybe haven't mentioned so much on this podcast that could be a development for physical access is the concept that um, you can just gain legitimate access to a business by stealing, cloning, or spoofing an access card. It's very, very rare that when I'm talking to organizations about physical access attacks, that they would consider the risk of just forging an access token. Very often companies want to know things like, can you tailgate in? Can you convince the receptionist to let you in? When really one of the easiest ways very often is just compromise the access control system. I've had it on Pentests previously as well, where as part of a technical attack, we've compromised the access control server, which has allowed us to do things like disable doors, um, unlock doors remotely, those kinds of things. But just just keep things simple for now. Um, how difficult, for the most part, is it to clone an RFID card? Well, without getting too far into the details of low-frequency cards, high-frequency cards, products like the Proxmark, card cloners that are uh, that can be built. Um, in, in concept, RFID cards, access cards that most companies use to control their door access, can be cloned. There are secure implementations of it, but in my experience, a lot of companies haven't considered those secure implementations. So what kind of risks do we have? Well, the easiest is cloning a card. If I can get close to an RFID card, I can possibly clone it. How accessible is the hardware to do that? Well, take a look at some online stores, some online auction sites, and you'll find RFID cloners for as little as £10. They're available next day delivery as well, so if you've got a job coming up, you can get them quite quickly. They don't work on all frequencies, they don't work on all technologies, but they're available and they do commonly work. So we could do something like... um, walking near a member of staff who's um, outside of the office on their way to the shop, you know, for lunch or something like that, or on their way to a coffee store, clone the card without them noticing. Sometimes you can do something a little bit more daring and maybe you stand outside the office and say, we're, we're doing a security assessment. We need to check your card. The card cloner that I bought online recently for a demonstration at a conference talk was um, £10. When it clones a card, it gives off a happy little chirp And you could feasibly build that into the scenario. When it beeps, you could tell the person that, yes, your card is valid and everything is fine. Carry on. Thank you for your vigilance and patience in this security assessment. Uh, And of course, clone the card and then then go and let yourself in. There's also the concept of of card spoofing. So if you you look at things like um, T55, RFID cards, uh, low-frequency cards, um, there's different technologies here, but... but, um, at least one kind of card, just as an example. It uses a uh, an eight-digit number to control access, the first three digits of which are the facility ID. This is going to be the same for each card. And then there's uh, five digits. It's actually not um, zero to 9999. It's zero to 65,000. So it's reduced because binary. <laughs> Skipping over some technical detail there, but there's, there's uh, five digits that control whose card that is. One thing that we could do is just brute force those numbers. Have you ever checked how quickly an attacker could brute force card numbers? Um, I did an assessment recently. I could do four attempts a second. That would not take me very long to get through the full key space, especially if I already knew the facility ID. 
Another thing to consider is some ID cards have their ID number printed on them. They're very often on, on the back, but it's not unusual to be able to spot them from a distance, and it's certainly not unusual to see people whose ID has either turned around or they have purposely turned it around because they don't like their ID photograph. That's not unusual. If the number's printed on it, then I don't need to get close and use an RFID scanner or an RFID clone or anything like that. I could just see the number, configure my card with that number, and then and then get access. So we don't necessarily need, um, you know, to tailgate a member of staff. We don't necessarily need to access the office within office hours if cards are valid 24-7 like they are in, in many offices. Or maybe we just, um, you know, brute force on, read one from a card, something like that. There's, there's attacks against these systems that, that companies haven't considered. So think about it. D do you know what happens if an attacker tries to brute force a PIN number? Are you alerted in some way? Do you get uh, an email, you know, at the end of the week with everyone who accessed the system, at which point it would be too late? Um, will the door lock out? What happens when the door locks out? It's, it's a, a, an attack that a lot of companies don't consider. Um, there is, of course, also the simple idea of what happens if I force a door? A lot of RFID control doors are just hold closed on a maglock, on, on an electromagnet. If I push the door really hard or give it a swift kick, the door will open. If there's no one in that area to hear it or see me give it a swift kick, um, what happens then? Does the system alert you that a door was forced? Or does it come up with a generic error? I, I saw one system where the security was told that a door had been opened, but the error wasn't clear as to what had happened. So they weren't aware that the door had been forced. They just thought there was some problem with it. So they sent facilities around to have a look. And at that point, we were in the building and therefore facilities just said, seems to be working. It must be a software glitch. There's also, I, I saw one of these recently. I don't see them very often, thankfully, but you do come across them. Um, RFID doors are controlled uh, by electromagnets and therefore must be powered. Uh, very often the switch to power them off is not in the best of places. It might be exposed, it might be reachable. Um, I saw one recently which was um, keyed, so you required a, a, a key to power the door down, uh, but the key was on the outside of the building. So a shared office building, but it was it was in the corridor. So if you could get access to the shared office building, which is generally not hard with shared office buildings. There's a multitude of scenarios that would get you into the building. Um, you can just uh, play with that lock, either bypass it by taking the front panel off or maybe picking the lock or bumping the lock, those kinds of things using uh, bump keys for those who aren't familiar with um, non-destructive entry techniques. It's outside. It's on, on the external side of the office. It's very likely that... Um, you know, people wouldn't notice. You can pick a lock quite quickly. Um, check out anyone in the InfoSec community for more information on lock sport. It, it, it's a very popular hobby within information security, but locks can get picked. That's hopefully not a surprise to you. So I guess um, my predictions for the future of cybersecurity is, is just going to be things like, it's an arms race, right? This is not news to anyone. It's an arms race. Why, why don't attackers do really, really cool things? Why don't we see really cool antivirus evasion techniques? Because attackers will just do what works. And when organizations start to prevent certain kinds of attacks, if you have an organization where um, challenging people who might be tailgating is just culturally ingrained and it would be really difficult to tailgate because everyone will check who you are, then probably just going to brute force an ID card and let myself in. or clone an ID card externally to the office. Something like that. Um, 
So these attacks exist. We don't see them being used because very often attackers just don't need to. So, hey, that's that's mildly depressing, isn't it? Sorry to, to end on a downer again with this whole security thing, but hey, what's the point I'm trying to make here? Cybersecurity predictions, very often there's little value in them, but one of the things that is worth taking a look at is how is this well-known attack changing? How is phishing likely to develop over the next year? Possibly deep fix. How is physical access likely to develop over the near future? Possibly RFID attacks. How is um, pen testing likely to develop over the next year? Well, look at things like the Pulse Secure remote code execution vulnerability from the end of 2019. And you'll see that very often attackers performing technical attacks will wait until a cool vulnerability is released and then exploit that cool vulnerability. So there is developments, possibly not something groundbreakingly new, not a new entire vulnerability class. But yeah, still worth keeping an eye out there. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, uh, what are your cybersecurity predictions for the next year? Do you think I'm on the money and, and, and that's it? It's just going to be incremental developments as the arms race continues? Or do you think there's some new attack that I have simply missed? Let me know over social media and I'll see you in the next podcast. Thank you.